right. Today I am with Dr. Jared Ross and Jared, you're a physician specializing in emergency medicine and addiction medicine. And you reached out to me a little while back about some, uh, some shared experiences with waking up from the left, so to speak. If you, uh, both of us are similarly positioned politically in some ways in our, in our, um, in our views as we've come from being more left oriented to being somewhat more centrist. And I'm really interested in hearing you elaborate on that and what your process has been. And also um, I'd like to hear more about how woke ideology is impacting medicine in your view. And you mentioned also some ways that wokeism is impacting the Jewish community and conversations therein. So thank you so much for joining me. And I really look forward to hearing what you have to say. Leslie, it's uh, it's really a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I've really admired your work um, from you know some of your early work, which was just you uh, you know holding a phone and, and talking about your experience at Antioch. And so, uh, and thank you again for for having me today. Well, thank you. Uh, it, it's really a shame that you know this country has strayed so far from you know, the ideals of Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And the idea is that this is a meritocracy with individual rights, um, individual freedoms, but also individual responsibility and, and true independence. And I think we've also lost that, that American work ethic that we're famous for and and we, we don't quite value the free market capitalism that has made um, America the, the land where, where people come to achieve the American dream. And instead, we've really gone to embrace dependence, uh, narcissism, uh, victimhood, identity politics, which includes critical race theory and, and so-called anti-racism. And then I think this, uh, this very harmful idea that the truth is subjective, this idea of, of my truth and your truth, and that, that every, every feeling and every opinion is as valid as, as any other and that we have become detached from, from reality. Yeah, and, and you, it sounds like you have come to have these, these perspectives and views over time. And how did you, what was your process in coming into this conversation in this way? What, what, what started to shift for you and make you, I guess, where did you come from and how did you get there? Yeah, absolutely, um, and I, I think that's a I think that's a very important story to tell, and and one that I I don't get to tell as much as I'd like to. Um, you know, I was uh, born and raised outside of Los Angeles in Santa Monica, California, uh, to two you know New York Jewish parents who were um, both very far to the left and um, are no longer, but but were at the time. And I think that that 
was and is very common within the Jewish community. Um, that everyone's on the left. The left is the the right place to be or the correct place to be, um, the the moral high ground, and uh, no one really thinks this even gives second thought to it. Uh, and I, I I can't say I was very involved in in politics in general, but um, but it it just. It, it didn't even cross my mind that this was, that there was anything other out there. And then I moved to Pittsburgh to attend Carnegie Mellon University for college. And I remember becoming friends with, uh, with someone who was the president, I believe, of the uh, Republican, the young Republicans on campus. And I became friends with her through a, through a wilderness activity, something unrelated, and then realized, and I, I would just, you know, ridicule her for, uh, for, for being a part of that, that mm. group. And then, uh, towards the end of my time in college in the, uh, spring of, of 2008, uh, I had the opportunity to help with help organize the kickoff of Chelsea Clinton's college bus tour across the state of Pennsylvania. And this was a, uh, a sub campaign within Hillary Clinton's campaign for the presidency in 08. And so I put my college work on hold and uh, worked really full time to coordinate um, this, this amazing honor that we were gonna have Chelsea Clinton kick off this statewide bus tour across you know, Pennsylvania, a state that has a lot of, a lot of higher education mm -hmm. across the entire state and uh, organize this event, um, you know, count, countless hours over two weeks doing this and had mm -hmm. prepared a, a speech to introduce Chelsea at the event um, and just before the event went on, um, I was told by one of the uh, the campaign organizers uh, that I would not be introducing Chelsea and that instead uh, a, a black woman would be introducing Chelsea. Oh. That that was important for for optics because uh, Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, biggest competition was coming from Barack Obama. Specifically because she was a black woman, she was being chosen instead of you. Absolutely. And she was someone who had had, you know, minimal, if any, involvement over the last two weeks. And, you know, I put my coursework aside and was just dedicated, um, you know, meeting with uh, campus leadership, campus police meeting with the city, the city police. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a lot of logistics that went into uh, planning this event, which actually mm -hmm. uh, coincided with our spring carnival for the, the school. Mm -hmm. And this was held on the carnival stage. Um, so a lot that went into this. So talk about tokenizing. This is, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but believe it or not, I was you know, I was, I was hurt. I was hurt and disappointed. Yeah. Um, this really wasn't 
um, a turning point for me yet. Okay. It was just, uh, um, just one thing that happened. Yeah. Maybe in hindsight, it looked more clear Absolutely. than it did at the time. Yeah. It was a, it was a start to, to a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think around this time, I was also exposed to the idea of Reconstructionist Judaism. Okay. I'm so, not familiar with that concept. Judaism classically has, and we try to say streams rather than sects, but again, I think that's policing language, unfortunately. Um, You know, traditionally in the U.S., we have the reform movement, the conservative movement, and then the the modern Orthodox movement, and then we have the the Hasidic streams um, or Haredi streams, and they believe that the the Torah or what uh, non-Jews would refer to as the Old Testament is the writing of of God. Okay. And that it's not to be interpreted. And then these modern American streams that have occurred over the last couple hundred years are non-Haredi and believe that the uh, Torah is a work of historical and religious importance. Okay. Uh, but because it's not written by God, it can be interpreted by humans. Um, and and there have been numerous smaller branches off of Judaism over the years, um, including uh, humanism and uh, Kabbalah, which is a Jewish mysticism. I was really raised in a in a non-affiliated synagogue, um, and then was exposed to Reconstructionist Judaism towards the end of my college career and realized how much similarity there was between my background and what was being called Reconstructionist. And Reconstructionist Judaism is very much based on uh, community and equality, egalitarianism, and uh, individual interpretation and respect for others interpretations and um and and really forming community about grassroots community um unfortunately today uh reconstructionist judaism is is not that uh reconstructionist judaism really jumped on the uh social justice bandwagon Mm -hmm. and has become very um, very politically involved in in far left, far progressive ideology. Unfortunately, was was Reconstructionist Judaism a new stream or something that was newly emerging, or is this an older stream that was um, just taking hold and in, in coming into your life at this time? So, great question. It it's a it's a newer stream in terms okay. of Jewish streams. It came out in the 1970s. Okay. Um, by a, an Orthodox rabbi, uh, Mordechai Kaplan, okay. whose daughter very much wanted to be a rabbi, and the Orthodox faith does not allow uh, women on the on the bima. Okay. Okay. Or, or up on the uh, uh, to lead prayer. Okay. And 
Uh, so together they created this, this new stream originally in New York that took off in New York and then LA and then Chicago where we have large uh, Jewish communities and then it, and then has spread around the country and around the world, um, but still definitely one of the newer and, and smaller streams of Judaism. And so I guess it sounds like it was a bit more progressive in some ways, politically and socially, with the women being able to hold certain positions and such. Um, you know, definitely more progressive than Orthodox Judaism. Okay. okay. Um, but I think more, more traditional than Reform Judaism, which okay. is the most common um, affiliation of Jews in the U.S. who are affiliated. Okay. So you have to remember that most Jews here in the U.S. are not are not affiliated with any stream. Okay. Uh, and then the reform movement uh, represents the largest movement here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and and maybe even more um, even differentiated from the conservative movement, which mm. was a branch off of the reform movement to say, well, we've got the conservatives out or we've got the um, the Orthodox out here, and we've got the the reform out here, and we need to uh, find some middle ground and conserve some of those religious mm. ideas. Um, and so you find that that that's that's a stream, and 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 it's it's okay, but it's not. Um, there's still unfortunately a lot of dogma there there's uh even within judaism which really ingrains the idea of questioning and questioning authority and questioning yourself and 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 constant reflection um conservative judaism as a whole is is a little bit uh is a little bit rigid or at least i found it a little bit rigid and also not not as joyous as mm. as the upbringing I came to. Um, I found that the reform movement was very watered down, uh, and and that the uh, conservative movement, unfortunately, while being more religious, was was just not joyous. Was just mm. not something I. I really uh, wanted to attend. There, it's not as much singing. There's, it, it's just a little bit too somber. Okay. And I think, at least for me, faith is a really important um, way to to realize life and enjoy life. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Reconstructionist Judaism was was sort of becoming a part of your world in when you were in college. Then, around the same time, you were really politically active. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think it really allowed me to see, um, to see individualism as well mm. um, and to, to appreciate that. And as I said, unfortunately, the reconstructionist movement is, is not what it was mm. in, um, in, you know, 2008. 
as I was as I was finding it and his uh, strayed far from that. But the next step in my journey was that I moved to DC after college, um, was uh, pursuing an, an internship and then uh, grad school. And uh, I had briefly in college done some volunteering with the Red Cross. And while in grad school in DC on the way home, I uh, ran across a, a condo building just down the block from my apartment building that was uh, had had suffered a massive fire. Mm. And all, you know, the, the power was completely turned off to the whole building and everyone, you know, 20, 30 units were displaced. Mm. And I said, oh, I know what we need to do. We need to, to call the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And the Red Cross showed up and, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll help fill out paperwork and, and get stuff going. And, and they said to me, we, we need you, you know, you, you know what you're doing? Like, what, how do we not know you're here in, in DC? And I said, oh, I'm, you know, here to, to do well in grad school and get into medical school. I don't know that I have time to be volunteering again um but they uh they pushed pretty hard and I uh I ended up actually at one point filling a a full-time position that they had vacant um, as a volunteer Mm -hmm. and so what I did in in DC was respond out to these disasters and I know people think the Red Cross is going to you know hurricanes and and floods but 90 plus percent of it is house fires and apartment fires, people Mm. who are displaced. Mm -hmm. Smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of smaller scale Mm -hmm. events. Um, And in DC, you know, running a few of these a week. Mm -hmm. And I was going out a lot to Southeast DC to the Anacostia, which is, uh, you know, very impoverished, socioeconomically depressed area of DC, you know, one of the most in our country, Uh, a lot of violence, um, HIV positive rates of 20%, you know, Mm. rival that of parts of Africa, Um, huge amounts of poverty, those who are employed are primarily employed uh, with either the DC government or the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so what I saw there was, was showing up to help people in their time of of greatest need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been a, a firefighter and an EMT and a paramedic and, and, and knew that I was on this trajectory towards, towards medical school. Um, but I showed up and I saw a shocking level of, of entitlement culture. Mm-hmm. And as we, you know, would give people vouchers for hotel rooms, give them prepaid debit cards to, get some clothing to get them through the next mm-hmm. 72 hours, give them debit cards for food, um, you know, replace their, their medication that had been lost in the fire. And then, mm-hmm. and then also connect them with mental health services, mm-hmm. uh, constantly heard, you know, complaints that this isn't enough money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had these lines that, you know, this is not insurance. This is, emergency assistance to get you through the next 72 mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. um you know and and the the attitudes we face the the threats of violence actual violence mm. 
um, people attempting to manipulate the system and bring neighbors into their house and say, well, we all live here, so we need more money. Oh, wow. Uh, I, you know, this isn't enough to replace my wardrobe. And I said, no, it's not, it's mm. not intended as insurance, you know, and then it's, well, you know, it's I a gift. My it's, it's like, right. A, it's, yeah. it's a gift. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people who say, well, I pay my taxes, I'm, you know, entitled to this. And I said, well, when we did your intake, you said that your income was SSI. So you're not paying yeah, taxes, no. but that, that aside that the Red Cross is a, a non-governmental nonprofit that's mm -hmm. funded by donations. It's mm -hmm. the only nonprofit that has a congressional mandate, which is, mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're not, this is not government funds. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just the level of, you know, we would have people who would give them a two day hotel voucher. They would refuse to leave the room after, after two nights was up. Oh, and wow. uh, yeah. we, we couldn't keep contracts with hotels in DC. We had mm -hmm. clients who urinated and defecated in their room. Oh we my gosh. Clients who brought dogs into the room that tore up the room. Wow. We had clients that, that tore up hotels. Um, mm. and this again, added, added fuel to this fire, um, that, that was, you know, maybe, maybe this wasn't, this wasn't working. It was changing your perspective on, yeah. on some of your political foundations. Absolutely. And then I think it was a friend of mine in, in DC, um, Eric, who's, who's now actually a, a member of the Democratic Party, very active in it, um, who trained as a statistician, but worked in, uh, in economics. And, first introduced me to some of these, I think, libertarian ideas, mm -hmm. um, especially, uh, especially around uh, marriage equality. Mm. And this idea of, of kind of keeping government out of, of our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I think it was it was his idea. I really need to give him credit for this. And you know, this was as all these um, equality talks were were going on across the nation. That uh, maybe the government shouldn't be involved in marriage. Maybe the government should issue civil unions to any two consenting adults, and that religious institutions should deal with marriage, which is mm. is historically a religious idea. And that civil union is what applies to, you know, legal benefits and tax filings, um, and uh, marriage is is related to faith. And that mm -hmm. you, as two consenting adults, can go get married, get a civil union, or or both, or neither, whatever you want. And that this removes a lot of this, you know, again, this ideal of separation of of church and state, removing this uh language from mm -hmm. from government and and uh and this really struck a chord with me mm -hmm. um and and again i i continued to to explore those those ideals mm -hmm. and about what year was this what it and where were you in your progression through um i guess coming to where you are right now 
Yeah, I was I was still in that progression. I was in DC from the summer of 08. And mm -hmm. actually, even once I moved to DC, I actually worked on Hillary's campaign in DC. Okay. Um, so despite that disappointment in in Pittsburgh, um, I, I worked on her campaign in DC before mm -hmm. she, uh, she dropped out of the race. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I stayed in DC for for just about two years until okay. the summer of of 2010 when I started medical school. And I, I think I was, you know, less involved in, in politics throughout medical school. I was moving around quite a bit mm -hmm. and focused on, on studying, uh, getting into internship and then residency. Mm -hmm. And then I think things are, around 2017, mm -hmm. I was in, in Detroit um, in residency for emergency medicine. And one of my co-residents was very big into tactical medicine and was trying to resurrect a program where we were uh, involved with the, with the SWAT team okay. and okay. serving as physicians with the SWAT team. And this really seemed of interest to me. Again, I had grown up in Southern California in a very, you know, liberal, politically liberal um, background and, and had no experience with, uh, with firearms. Mm. And what I did was I did a self-assessment and I said, what's, what's going to prevent me from being on this SWAT team. And I said, mm -hmm. it's not my medical knowledge, uh, but I think it's my knowledge of, of tactics and mm -hmm. of, of firearms. And I'm not, I don't have to be a sharpshooter, but I have to, have to understand this and be comfortable with this. Mm -hmm. And so I started realizing that I need to educate myself on, on firearms and, um, and tactics as well and went to Connecticut to take a, a tactical medicine course, um, but also um, start, went out to, to the Las Vegas area to take a four-day uh, pistol course and learn, learn how to use uh, pistols. Um, you know, I, I realized at some point that I really needed to purchase my own firearm. You know, there's only so much you can do going to a range and renting something that some of this is just repetition and that you need mm -hmm. to uh, sit at home and work with this, with this uh, mm -hmm. you know, dry practice without ammunition. Um, and I, you know, did this really right. I invested heavily in safes, you know, I had a mm -hmm. safe in my bedroom and a safe in my car and a lockbox to transport it. And, uh, and my girlfriend at the time, very, very Jewish, very, very liberal as well was, you know, kind of turned to me and said, you know, what, what happened to you? I thought I was dating this, this nice Jewish boy. Um, and, and, and again, the pieces started clicking that, mm. that for some reason that, that because I now was looking to own a firearm, mm. um, I was no longer meeting these ideals of of the left and unfortunately of the American Jewish community as well. Yeah. Uh, and I was, you know, mentioned this to a colleague, a co-resident of mine, uh, Bonnie, 
and uh, her, and, and she mentioned to me, you know, her husband, Larry, was actually a retired police officer and was working as a, a range instructor at one of the local ranges in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I was really trying to figure out, you know, what firearm did I need? And mm-hmm. she introduced me to him. And I spent some time at the range, spent a whole day at the range with him and, you know, had the opportunity to try out multiple firearms. And we talked politics while we were there. And, and he introduced me the, to this idea of small L libertarianism, this mm-hmm. libertarian values, but not not really the, the libertarian party. So this was kind of the second time you'd really been introduced to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, got, you know, very much uh, got into gun ownership and understanding self-defense and, uh, and understanding our second amendment, which I, I really, I really hadn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you really had quite a a number of perspective shifts going on over the course of these, this decade, really. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then in, uh, in 2020, while I was, was living in St. Louis, I actually, you know, again, really not quite sure where I was, but I, uh, wrote myself in on the, uh, on the, the ticket for the, uh, the Libertarian Party. Oh, wow. And, uh, ran for office. I ran for office, uh, spur of the moment decision. I've heard from the party that that I received two votes. I I highly, highly, highly doubt that. I really, <laughs> I really think it was just my one. But well, who knows? Maybe I briefly mentioned this to a friend who thought it was was a funny idea to write me in. Um, but I was was elected and um, served on the board of directors. Actually, served as the treasurer for the uh, the party in St. Louis. Uh, for just over a year until I until I moved down here to to Charleston, South mm-hmm. Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so during all this time, as you're having these shifts, it, the culture is also shifting. And Absolutely. we've seen as as what uh, I I I know, I guess my my simple way of saying it is that the left has moved really far left to where it's not doesn't represent liberal values anymore where you're seeing leftist authoritarianism in in our left-wing politics and so you're shifting you're having these realizations and at the same time the culture is shifting underneath of you and how how are you seeing this show up both in your personal life uh personal political perspective your work as a doctor and in the jewish community yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, part of this shift was was definitely even earlier on. I think um, my mom reacted very strongly to the the horrific terrorism of of nine eleven, and she um, began a a shift from the very far left to mm. the very far right. And my my father followed slowly, um, and I was 
I was very cautious of this and, and, um, but again, this was, you know, kind of another, another piece of the puzzle, mm -hmm. but absolutely. I was seeing, um, as you were this, um, this drastic shift, mm -hmm. uh, from, uh, liberalism, um, and, uh, and individual rights as, as laid down by the, the founders of, of this country towards this leftist authoritarianism and that was was very hard for me to to reckon with and i think i you know i started to to really reject um liberal politics but i wasn't and and still am not on board with the uh with the right mm -hmm. i think some of that comes from my uh, skepticism of, of big politics, of political machines, of, mm -hmm. you know, that there's, there's corruption, that the power breeds corruption and that it, yeah. it doesn't so much matter uh, which side you're on, that that can, can really be a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and as I was, you know, interacting more with the, uh, the Libertarian Party, I did did join up as uh, as a member of the board. I was uh, kind of forced into to joining. Um, interestingly, the Libertarian Party doesn't require you to join the National Party. You can instead just opt to join your state party, but that seemed more difficult. So I just I paid my dues to the National Party. Um, but that was really a wonderful uh, place to have to have discussions and. Mm -hmm. And, and we called it, uh, I actually called it a, a safe space. Hmm. And, um, you know, somewhat I ironically, um, but it was really, the the idea was that we would come together once a month and and over over some, some drinks, we would discuss political issues mm -hmm. and that everything was on the table. It was an open discussion. Um, but there were, this was about the issues. It was not, you know, we were not, no personal attacks. Mm -hmm. and I hosted a lot of our meetings, most of our meetings. And, and I set down these ground rules and, and people would say to me, you know, who do you think we are? Like, why, why would we be attacking each other over these? We're here to, we're here to attack the issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and I just said, look, look around at the world. Like this is, you know, I, I hate that I have to say this, but, but this is to, to a large degree, the world we're, we're living in where people are being attacked for their beliefs. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's not a dialogue. It's not attacking the issues. It's, um, it's really attacking individuals unfortunately mm -hmm. and we've seen you know several people with uh with their careers who have have been destroyed uh, i think you know one big shout out for me is to to dr stanley goldfarb mm -hmm. who is the the founder of do no harm medicine which has worked very hard in in medicine to to remove these uh these progressive discriminatory ideologies mm. and uh, 
Dr. Goldfarb was a, was a dean of medicine at uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And they're practicing nephrologist, I believe, kidney doctor, you know, widely published, widely respected. Um, and uh, he came out against uh, against discriminatory practices, uh, you know, so-called anti-racism or, mm. um, and against, uh, critical race theory. And he was, uh, he was removed from, from his position and, uh, was fired from, from the university mm. and his whole, his whole academic career, um, was, was completely derailed. Mm. And what will you say a little more about what he was objecting to? What does the application of of anti-racism to medicine look like? So I think the biggest I think the biggest uh, application here is is in combating health disparities, right? Mm -hmm. No one will deny that we have um, severe health disparities in this country by um, race, by race, by socioeconomic status. But if we just look at race and we just look at at, at Black Americans to keep things you know very simple and straightforward, mm -hmm. there are there are absolutely disparities there um, in terms of life expectancy, in terms mm -hmm. of um, morbidity, um, in in terms of of care, and I think the suggestion of the far left is that this is due to racism, systemic mm -hmm. racism um unconscious bias um and that along with that the solution to this is that we need more black doctors and fully leaning into this incredibly racist idea that you know only black doctors can provide proper care for black patients mm -hmm. which is just you know, just in, incredibly appalling. Mm -hmm. um, and and again, goes to a lot of our, you know, affirmative action policies across um, academia and, and culture and society that mm -hmm. started in the 70s. And, and I think, you know, we have to look at what was the intent of these policies when they were introduced. The idea mm -hmm. of this was that, we're, you know, getting out of, of Jim Crow and we need to, we need to allow one generation to catch up. Mm. So we're going to temporarily institute these affirmative action policies, which, which are really discrimination, right? Discrimination mm -hmm. to solve path, past discrimination, mm -hmm. um, to, to allow Blacks to advance in society, um, and instead, we're, you know, 50 years later, we're still, we're, we're actually leaning into this more and more. Mm. And so what you've seen is you've seen a, a lowering of standards, right? We're not living in this meritocracy. You know, we've shifted completely from our, our country's founding on, um, on equality or equal opportunity to, to equity, which means equal outcomes. And I think people often conflate the two terms and don't understand 
the the massive difference um, they are diametrically opposed and and completely incompatible with each other that if you are allowing for equality if you're giving everyone an equal chance um you you are not going to have equity and if you have equity you are thereby discriminating and and not giving everyone equality and uh and and th this hurts everything you know i mean i think a lot of these you know a lot of the press and the supreme court uh findings have have really shown how the uh the asian populations have been been hurt by these policies yeah uh, but this this hurts the the people it's it's really meant to to help um in in the black community is what we've done is we've we've lowered standards and mm -hmm. and we see this in in medical school we see this in law school we see this in college we see higher dropout rates we see um failure to pass um, medical boards or to pass the bar um and then the left just leans into that more and says mm -hmm. no the tests are racist it's not that it you know or that testing is racist or that yeah it's a refusal to investigate other variables and just right. focusing on racism and as you say like in medicine the assertion is that if there are disparate health outcomes it must be because of some kind of prejudice in the doctors towards the patients so replace the white doctors with more black doctors and that will be a catch-all it seems like a very simplistic reductive response absolutely absolutely and i think we've got you know tons of evidence that that's just not not the case i i spent two years working at an inner city very very impoverished uh, hospital in in st louis uh, the hospital the, the first year I was there, the hospital lost $75 million. The second oh, year I was there, they lost $90 million. Wow. And it was uh, it was a nonprofit hospital that still I can tell you that nonprofit would have loved to close that hospital mm. and and did take services away right and left. You know, we mm. went from a level one trauma center to a level two to a level three to a level four and then completely resigned our trauma status all voluntarily. We lost our pediatric services. We lost our OBGYN services. I mean, anything- Because it just wasn't, wasn't sustainable. It wasn't sustainable. And I think they couldn't close the hospital because it was the only hospital in the Northeast part of St. Louis County, uh, which is very impoverished and predominantly black. And I think- So it was a really needed service, but there just wasn't funding for it. Absolutely, absolutely. And there wasn't, but there wasn't the reimbursement for it. Um, and, uh, but you looked at, you know, on my, you know, on, on my on a day-to-day -day basis, I would be called racist. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just, and, and everyone, you know, everyone there was, was, it was, it was unfortunate because anytime a patient who was black, which were, you know, 90% of our patients were felt like we had taken someone else out of the, the ER waiting room before them. It was, you know, or, or something they didn't like, would, weren't willing to give them narcotics, whatever it was, was, mm. was racism. And, and, um, so you're and seeing like, as racism becomes this sort of catch all. 
Oh, it's the boogeyman. It's the thing that it's the, the source of all the problem. Absolutely. And we had a number of, you know, we, we had a, a, a completely mixed workforce there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of people went, came to work there. I mean, I saw nurses that would last one week or even one shift um, because it was a very, very challenging place to work um, because of the, you know, the patients were very socioeconomically depressed and didn't have good access to care. Mm-hmm. The hospital was under-resourced. Uh, we saw a lot of very sick patients, a lot of violence, um, and even had had violence and violent threats, you know, on us as, as staff. And so, mm-hmm. um, but for those of us who who did succeed there, um, we we thrived in this. We thrived mm-hmm. against that adversity, really trying to to put ourselves, uh, insert ourselves into the worst of the worst situations mm-hmm. to try to make positive change. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really felt like like I was doing that. I I really. Uh, you know, went to, went to work every day, um, saying, you know, how can we, how can we save lives today? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Give me, uh, give me something to, to, to fight for here. Well, if not through anti-racist policies, which are just more discrimination, and like you said, in order to make up for past discrimination, if not for those, what would be, what is a better way to alleviate some of these disparities do you have thoughts about that in medicine absolutely so i think i think first of all just to you know fully dispel this i think you know all we need to do is look at look at african immigrants specifically nigerian immigrants right uh they come to this country on um from a a different culture a different society uh speaking a different language, speaking English with a thick accent, um, on average with darker skin than Black descendants of slavery. Um, and and despite all that adver- adversity coming from a third world country, they are, are wildly successful. And, um, you know, many of the, the doctors I've I've worked with are, are Nigerian immigrants and, and African immigrants. And so if this was truly based on race and truly based on, on skin color, um, I, I don't think you'd be seeing these people uh, succeed hmm. and, and, and flourish. Um, and instead, when we, when we lower standards, we, we, we hurt everyone. We hurt those, you know, very top of their class black students who have to deal with this everlasting doubt. You know, was I admitted to medical school because of my achievements or was I admitted because of the color of my skin? Mm-hmm. And am I deserving of this? You know, we talk in medicine quite a bit about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, unfortunately, as these progressive ideologies have have infiltrated our life, that we get into this unhealthy amount of self doubt and self questioning mm-hmm. um, that this that this perpetuates. 
Yeah. But I think we really need to look at look at other things. Look at um, you know expect expectations. Uh, you know, family structure is is huge, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we when we created these welfare programs, we incentivized single motherhood, mm -hmm. and that's just you know by and large that's just not going to be a, a healthy environment kids are going to get more time and attention and more financial stability if they have two parents um and 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 what do we see in in the black community that we you know i think comparing and contrasting blacks descendant of slaves versus um african immigrants we we see these intact family structures uh, we see a huge emphasis on the importance of of education. Um, so you would point to the the American political system as the source of the problem, and or I guess maybe I'm making too simple a statement, but you think that the problems are generationally political, the way that we've created a a, a socioeconomic class that's dependent on this welfare state and that has had its family just family structure destroyed through political decision making absolutely and i don't i don't necessarily um put all of the the blame on on politics but you know we as humans respond to incentives we mm -hmm. do a very good job responding to incentives you know that's the the basis of economics, and I have no formal training in economics, but you know, libertarianism comes out of Austrian economic um, theory, and uh, so I've learned a lot about mm -hmm. about economics and economic incentives. And so, you know, there are certainly uh, cultural factors, and there's certainly things that we could have done or or still can do to promote to promote self-improvement um but instead under the guise of of help we have really instituted programs that are absolutely detrimental mm -hmm. to to those who have you know who were you know born to people who suffered through Jim Crow and and suffered actual actual racial discrimination, you know, don't, and I, I, I think that's one of the things that comes up when you talk about this is, you know, is, is you get, you know, called out for, for denying racism and mm -hmm. absolutely not. I mean, our, our country has an absolute history of, of racism mm -hmm. as, as do most of the countries around the world. Well, it's um, in group, out group, dynamics which absolutely is part of human and, nature so yes yeah, absolutely there's so much evolutionary biology behind that mm -hmm. and evolutionary psychology and you can't even talk about that i mean if if you start talking about you know write this we have this um this cliche that you know for for white people all black people look the same right and that that's that that's racism that's systemic racism what that is, is that's outlier homogeneity. That's 6 million years of evolution as a species when we lived in small hunter-gatherer communities that 
it wasn't important for us to distinguish between members of rival mm. factions that we just needed to know, you know, if you're one of my people, I need to know who you are because we have some trade relationship, we have some social relationship, whatever that may be. But that if you look different than me, mm -hmm. um, you're you're an enemy, and I need to. That my first response needs to be needs to be fear. So this is an evolutionary process. Um, you know, we we don't live in hunter gatherer societies. America is the is the great melting pot, mm -hmm. um, and, and this idea of race is so is so unimportant. I mean, that's I, I think what. You know, I think what what Martin Luther King Jr. was was getting at it is is why is this um, you know why is this so important and you know again even to to suggest colorblindness today is, is offensive is offensive and considered yeah. considered racism but you know and it we say it's denying culture and it's it's not culture is culture is not your skin color cultures you know who you affiliate with, what your values are, um, you know, what your faith is, what, um, what activities you practice, um, yeah. you know, it, it, it really doesn't have to distill down to the, the color of your skin and, and it, and it shouldn't, um, yeah. that should be the, the least important thing about you. Um, but instead we've gotten into this, this place where the color of your skin is the most important thing about you. Well, and the kind and, of welfare policies that you're describing, this has been coming up a lot in conversations lately, the idea of weaponized compassion and, and, you know, this, oh, are we overly compassionate? Have we become too um, feminine a, a culture in, in the way that we um, dole out empathy and compassion? And I think well, on what scale are you looking? Because there's an infantilizing kind of compassion, which is just put the put the pacifier back in the baby's mouth, just quickly placate the 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 person who's distressed. And then there's something that's more long term. Like if you're really compassionate and you really care about someone's long term success, you don't do the thing for them that just soothes their immediate need. You help them to, as you say, you incentivize them to learn for themselves to improve their life and to strive for something more and you see them as a peer and you see them as someone who's capable of of achieving and so i think that there's this really short-term kind of compassion that's being overemphasized this like just put out the fire stop the bleeding stop the crying and it's it is very infantilizing absolutely absolutely i mean we have this this, you know, move towards, and, and you can speak to this better than I can, but this idea of, you know, trauma-informed care and, and focusing so much on, on, you know, digging up past, past mm -hmm. harms. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a place for that. There's a mm -hmm. place to grieve. Mm -hmm. um, but we have moved so far away from a a solutions oriented society yeah. towards, you know, how do you as, as a therapist, and, and I, I do some addiction um, medicine work as well, and working towards my board certification in addiction and, and addictions, a, 
a whole nother realm of medicine, unfortunately, very, very um, politically co-opted, mm. um, far more than emergency medicine, for instance. Mm. And and how do we, you know, say, you know, I, I love to to quote the serenity prayer, you know, even mm. even as a Jew, to to accept the things we can't change, but to to change the things we can and to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think we spend so much time not knowing the difference and just and just whining and crying and 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 again I don't mean to to dismiss the importance of of taking time for grief and and to to go through the grieving process right. but then at some point you need to say okay I am how do I how do I move on? How do mm -hmm. I you know, fight this adversity? How do I push forward and improve yeah. my life? And yeah, you're, there's... you're absolutely right. We become a culture where we just continue to mope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And well, there's and the also... idea that it's what happened to you isn't your fault, but how you respond to it is your responsibility. Right. And instead we're taught that you know, someone else is responsible mm -hmm. for, for, for fixing our life that we're mm -hmm. here to wait for, you know, and, you know, whether it be these, these welfare programs, um, you know, this idea that, you know, student loans are, are not our responsibility that we didn't, you know, didn't sign up for that, that we're being mm -hmm. oppressed. Um, yeah. And I had another yeah. example there. Well, I know that you wanted to share a couple of points. Um, one about, I, I, I know you wanted to make a further point about woke, like so-called wokeism in the, in the Jewish community. And then you had a point about self-assessments that I was interested in hearing a little bit about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I think I'll, I'll start with the, the self-assessment if that's, sure. if that's okay. Yeah. So um, so when I, I decided I really wanted to be on the, the Detroit police SWAT team and I made this self-assessment and I say, what, you know, what's my, what's going to keep me out of this? It's not mm -hmm. my medical skill, but it's my, my firearm skill. Mm -hmm. And then saying, you know, I need to, to then overcome this weakness. And what do I need to do? I need to get training and I need to, to better myself for this for this job. I mean, it wasn't going to mm -hmm. pay, but it was, you know, whatever you want to pursue. And, you know, I actually was interviewing for the, a job at this inner city hospital. Um, and my future boss asked me, you know, asked me, you know, tell me a story about overcoming a weakness. Mm. And I told him this story of, of, of joining the SWAT team in residency, uh, which, you know, probably, wasn't the most insightful decision at the time, um, you know, interviewing to be at an inner city uh, hospital. Um, but, you know, over the years I worked there, he would, he quoted me numerous times and, and told me when we worked together, how much he admired that level of, of insight and self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And, and not just making that assessment, but then making that assessment and making change. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so we recently had the uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah <clears throat> or the Jewish New Year. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, New Year's resolutions are are kind of more an American idea than a than a Jewish idea. But, but you know, I celebrate both New Year's, so I make two New Year's resolutions, or at the very least, it gets me a little opportunity to get a jump start onto, you know, onto the January New Year's resolution. Um, but recently, you know, I've, I've been into kite surfing for for a few years here. And I just haven't, I'm not very good at it. I'd, I'd love to be better, love to really enjoy it. And, and part of that is getting out and spending more time with it. Um, but I really said, you know, what's, what, what do I not, you know, what am I not doing well here? And for me, that was that I've never been a board sport person before. I never, you know, I was a skier, not a snowboarder. I never wakeboarded. I never skateboarded. And so I said, how can I get better at this, you know, two feet on a board moving sideways thing? And so I went and started taking, you know, wakeboarding lessons at a, at a local, at a local park. And, and someone said to me, you know, oh, you're getting into wakeboarding. Don't you have enough hobbies? And I said, no, I'm, I have no interest in wakeboarding. I'm only doing this because I want to learn a specific skill to apply to improving something else I'm doing. And so I think the import, there's, there's a lot of importance to, to having that, that insight and then being able to say, this is a weakness of mine. Um, I want to change this. How do I change this? How do I then go out and change this? And then how do I, how do I test that, that feedback loop? And I think a lot of this comes into play and, you know, this is some of the consulting work I do in, in process improvement. This is Mm. some of the culture of safety work I do in in the aviation space is, is to say, how do we, how do we continue to, you know, how do we do process improvement? How do we evaluate our, our shortcomings and improve them? And I think that's what, what therapy should be about and used to be about and unfortunately has kind of instead become this, this pillow to cry on, Mm, unfortunately. mm, I don't know. Does that, does that seem to ring true to your experience? Well, I can see, uh, yeah, I can see the point that you're making. And I think that your point about self-assessments is valuable because you're saying, take an honest look at your own strengths and weaknesses. And if you have the opportunity, if you have a goal and you have uh, the ability to seriously look at your shortcomings and what might prevent you from reaching that goal and be honest with yourself, then you have the opportunity to actually improve your chances of reaching your goal. And, and so just that ability to be honest with oneself and it's sort of a, it sort of parallels the, the identity politics idea of checking your biases. And there's this idea of searching yourself for what are you hiding from yourself? And, and I, Unlike with the check your biases, which if you check and you you feel like maybe you don't have the biases that they're accusing you of, you you still have them. You just didn't see them. <laughs> you're you're just you're just advocating for an honest look at yourself, strengths and weaknesses, and then taking responsibility for your weaknesses in a given area and doing what you can to improve them. Absolutely. And this being self-assessment and self-improvement, you know, not, mm-hmm. not self-flagellation, not getting in front of a room and saying, I don't, you right. know, I, I, right. I, I can't wait for it. Um, 
and and that's this huge problem with this the this anti-racism CRT issue. It's you know you thought we would have learned in the 1700s from the Salem witch trials, right? I mean, it's it's that thing yeah. again. You know, if if you're if you say you're not a witch, you're a witch. You're a witch. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are a witch, you're you need <laughs> to be killed. And and it's this uh, it, it's yeah this no-win situation yeah it's mind reading it's yeah absolutely well thank you for making that point i think it's a i think it's well made and then finally did you want to uh, express something about how you've seen the wokeness it, does this tie into what you were talking about earlier with reconstructionist judaism i think it does okay. um you know i i think uh you know I, I did want to touch on something in medicine. I think we talked about a race and I'll, I'll kind of tie this in if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this, this gender ideology has just been incredibly, incredibly harmful to medicine and is again, a part of, uh, a part of medicine where if you don't, you know, if you don't go along with this, you can lose your job. You can lose your medical license in some states. Um, and as you know, uh, in the therapy world, this is probably even worse than in um, than in medicine. That if, um, but you know, and, and adults being adults, again, I am very strong in libertarian values. I support your you know your right as a as a competent adult to make your own life decisions, whether or not I agree with them. Mm -hmm. um, that that's not my you know if you're not if you're not harming anyone but yourself as a as an adult. You know, I, I don't, I don't see the role of government or or anyone else in interfering with that. Mm -hmm. um, but this gender ideology in children has just been been devastating, and and this is, you know, we see this in the rates that this pops up. Uh, Dr. Deborah So's book is is amazing, and Abigail Schreier's book, um, where you know these are kids that have underlying depression underlying anxiety a lot of them are on the autism spectrum and you know a whole nother question about why are we seeing these increased rates of, mm -hmm. of mental illness in in our younger generation is this because of social media is this because of of cultural and political philosophy um but you know these these children uh really need help they need they need therapy. I mean, I think everyone needs therapy. I think, I mean, you know, thank you so much for what you do. Uh, you know, whether it be coaching or therapy, how clinical, you know, different terms we use for it. Um, but everyone needs someone to help guide them um, through life towards achieving their best life, who is not, who doesn't have a stake in that. And so whether that's a, a religious leader or a, a life coach or a coach or a counselor or a therapist, um, whoever that is, I think that's, mm -hmm. that's so important. Um, but instead we, you know, railroad these kids onto, you know, puberty blockers and cross sex hormones and mutilating surgeries under this, this myth that, you know, if we don't affirm this, they'll kill themselves. And, and the data just doesn't bear this out. The data bears out that, that posts, surgery is is the highest time of regret the highest time of suicide um 
And right. And, and we, taking that short-term compassion perspective, cutting off your genitals is an awful pacifier. Absolutely. Yeah. And we don't affirm other delusions in, in mm-hmm. medicine or in, in walks of life. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't um, affirm anorexia. You know, we, we, instead we provide, you know, compassionate treatment and reinforce reality. Right. Um, schizophrenia is the same way. You know, right. I'm not going to, I don't reinforce that. I don't affirm that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's become such a problem. And I think that's a lot of what we've seen um, in, in, in American Judaism as well mm-hmm. um, is, and, and again, very distinct from Israeli Judaism. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have a, about the same number, six, six million Jews here in the U.S., about seven million in Israel. Um, but Israel's a, a very, uh, a very different ideal and a very different culture. They have a lot of, you know, they have a mandatory military service or um, or public service mm-hmm. for three years, either after high school or after college. Um but yeah, we, you know, and, and, and Jews as a, you know, as a, a marginalized group and as a targeted group, um, I, I mean, targeted as, especially for violence and, and violence from extremists, you know, it's not this, I mean, it, it, this idea is perpetuated in the Jewish community that the, you know, conservative Christian right is, um, is the, uh, you know, the, the modern day KKK and they want to, you know, kill the blacks and then, and kill the Jews. And it's, I mean, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, you know, I, I don't believe that we're the chosen people. I don't believe that there's a chosen people. Um, but a lot of these conservative Christians believe that Jews are the chosen people. And, mm-hmm. and, and these are not, I mean, that this is not the enemy. These are some mm-hmm. of the you know, and as this as this terrorist attack, which is is truly on you know magnitudes beyond what we saw on 9/11, and not not at all to diminish 9/11, but this has been you know an, an a uh, a terrorist attack on on you know remarkable scale mm. and appalling scale. Um, you know that that. Uh, we we still haven't uh and and that we haven't uh come to terms with unfortunately and i think some of this is is unfortunately media bias that's not that's not getting through um, but we have issues of of anti-semitism unfortunately it's not coming from from the right hmm. um and that there's a lot of hesitancy in judaism to to embrace our second amendment rights mm. and to say you know again ultimate responsibility is is on you and and you're responsible for you and your family so you again and, see that as as a political manipulation absolutely but mm. when you talk about you know well we've had huge rates of of anti-semitism let's you know let's work on education on self-defense and and firearms and it's like oh no no firearms are dangerous and 
it, it's just so so hard to uh to to fight back on and then again if you if you say you know if you quote quote genesis and say you know you know god created man and woman that's that's unacceptable that's offensive that's um you know denying that's what transgenocide um mm -hmm. you know we've even seen we've even seen jews promoting um promoting reproductive freedom as a as a jewish value and and again i take a very moderate stance on on abortion i think it's I don't think it should be illegal. I think it's immoral. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, I, I understand that that people make different decisions. Um, and instead we can't, you know, we can't focus on discussions about birth control because we're so focused on, on abortion. How do we minimize harm? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Again, as an addiction doc, you know, harm reduction, right? Mm -hmm. um, but instead we get so caught up in this and we we can't step back and then we're we're twisting we're, we're twisting torah we're mm -hmm. we're you know it's one thing to say i i disagree with i disagree with judaism's um with the torah's beliefs on homosexuality right mm -hmm. i don't i i think but but i can't twist that I mean, I just say I disagree with it. Um, I, um, you can say I disagree with, mm -hmm. with the biblical teachings or the Torah teachings on, on abortion, um, but instead there's been this move to co-opt Judaism and say I'm gonna, you know, mm -hmm. pigeonhole this to fit my, right. my need. So instead of just an honest disagreement, it's a massaging of the source material to make it kind of represent what you want it to represent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with honest disagreement. I think, mm -hmm. in fact, what we need is we need more honest disagreement. We need more difficult conversations. And, and people are afraid to have these difficult conversations they're unfortunately having them on social media where people are hiding behind a, a screen or a keyboard warrior and it, it it quickly deteriorates unfortunately into personal attacks where we can't sit down and and say you know um you know i, I don't think anyone disagrees that a, and 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 both sides politicize this right with abortion the left says you know the right is making it so that mothers whose lives are at risk are going to are going to die, and and that's just not that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's just a complete complete falsification. Mm -hmm. um, anytime there's anytime a mother's life is at risk, it's you know this idea that ectopic pregnancies need to be you know <laughs> yeah yeah. But then on the other hand, to say that abortion is completely acceptable. It's a completely amoral decision. It's right. just a clump of cells mm -hmm. is, is so misleading as well. And to say, you know, there, you know, life begins at conception. There's some viability. There's a certain responsibility of the mother to care for that 
child mm -hmm. until they're delivered. Um, and then afterwards, that child is not independent, but that child can be cared for by, by anyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to just acknowledge some of these, acknowledge mm -hmm. our, you know, our, our religious teachings, if you're religious, mm -hmm. um, and to say, let's, let's have an open and honest discussion about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do we do with fetal anomalies? Unfortunately, you know, it, it, Jews are, are predisposed to Tay-Sachs, mm -hmm. um, which is an awful, awful disease, whereas with children living, you know, two to three years and, and mm -hmm. dying this slow, painful death, um, is, it, is it maybe more compassionate to have genetic testing and then um, abort a, a fetus that has Tay-Sachs? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and again, that's an individual and a, and a moral decision and, I just don't see that that should be a decision left in the hands of, of our government, of government, especially our federal yeah. government. Yeah, you're making a good point. I mean, it's an issue like many issues with a lot of room for nuanced discussion and, and very personal decision making. And so, yeah, I think I think that that's just like many issues that we've been discussing on the cultural level recently that are framed as black and white issues with two opposing sides and that's really not the case so and i i agree with you also about the need to have these broader discussions openly and i am really grateful that you're you've been willing to share so much of your own story and your own process as you've come to be where you are right now Thank you so much. Yeah, I really, uh, really value this opportunity and uh, and really appreciate the work that you're doing to to have these discussions. You've really created a wonderful platform uh, for for people to have these uh, these difficult discussions and and to share and and to create more dialogue. And we really need we need more dialogue. We I think you know because of cancel culture, we've shut down dialogue we've shut down dissenting opinions um mm -hmm. we forced people into these you know two camps you're you know either on the on the right side or you're on the wrong side right. and uh and to sit back and say wait let's step back from this let's take a look let's actually break this down let's let's get into a place that's uncomfortable mm -hmm. right i think as you mentioned, this coddling um, of society, this coddling behavior that we've developed, um, we're so afraid as a society of being uncomfortable. We need to be in a in a safe space. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is so important for our our social and intellectual development that that we push boundaries. I mean, Education, liberal education, which is what our, you know, our, our, our education system was founded on, was founded on questioning and being in these, being in these uncomfortable situations. Um, and instead, today, we've replaced that with, you know, political correctness and anti-bias training um, and, and, and cancel culture and trigger. Um, yeah. to say oh no this is this is too much for you to 
for you to talk about or think about. Um, this could hurt you. And also, I think, you know, one huge problem there has been conflating emotional harm with physical harm as well, that you're, you know, you're hurting Absolutely. me, you're attacking me. Um, and that we've become uh, such a society that that supports uh, weakness, weak individuals, instead mm -hmm. of really supporting individuals to 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 fight adversity, to to push through, um, to to make difficult decisions, to counter difficult situations, and to really see the the reward and uh, success that comes from from true achievement, from true hard work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and. I, I agree with you. I think that these conversations are so valuable and thank you so much for sharing your perspective with me today. And, um, yes, if you have any links that you'd like to share with people, please feel free to send those to me. I'll put them in the notes underneath of this episode on the, on the video channel. Thank you again, Jared. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Leslie. Really appreciate it. And, and thank you again for having me.